Welcome back to another WSL episode and another week with a Manchester City defeat. To say, I just want to say Jesse wrote the script today, so any digs, blame Jesse. <laughs> and yep, we didn't have to t- change the introduction from last week because we said it last week and I wrote that one. But Manchester City lost their third consecutive WSL game. That's ridiculous. Um, but back to introductions, I'm your host, Alexi Baceta, obviously, and I'm joined by the usual Jesse Parker Humphreys and Abdullah Abdullah to round up this weekend's WSL action. So what do you two think? Jesse, let's start with you. Yeah, um, an interesting weekend. All the Almost all the away teams won, which is something you don't... All the away teams, I think, on Sunday won. And then obviously Arsenal as well. So Chelsea were the only home team to win over the weekend. So a bit of an interesting one there. It's not too bad. I think Chelsea held held themselves pretty decently at home. Abdullah, what do you think? Interesting games and interesting results. Um, I just feel like there's just only one winner here, which is Jesse and her love for Rian Skinner and, and Spurs. So I feel like that. I think that's the win of the weekend for me personally. I don't know about you, Alex, but that's for me the win of the weekend. Just the, every time, just Rian just comes out, does something spectacular, then Jesse's just excited she's, she's celebrating every single time in her room and right now she wants to punch me in the face but it's all good i'm three thousand miles away i'm not sure beating leicester counts as an exceptional weekend but okay <laughs> the collective you know the collective you know wins over the last few weeks just adds to the narrative you know what Rand skinner is still sitting on top of emma hayes so let's let's put it that way what an image <laughs> Anyway, (laughs) Arsenal and Tottenham remain the only two teams in the WSL with 100% records with 12 points each. Of course, Arsenal sit at the top of the league. Sorry, I had to mention that. Um, But Chelsea moved into third place after beating Brighton on Saturday. Manchester City have fallen to ninth in the table with only one win so far this season, while Leicester City, Reading and Birmingham City have all failed to pick up any points at all. So at least Man City aren't the worst, I guess, in the WSL. They can look at that bright side. Um, But we'll start at the City County for this weekend's biggest upset. Manchester City nil, West Ham 2. I saw that notification on my phone and I flipped. Can I just say that also? I got a text message from my friend who doesn't, he doesn't really follow the the WSL like progressively, but he'll look at the scores and he's a West Ham fan. Um, And he texts me, he's like, why are Manchester City so shit this season? And I didn't really have an answer for him. Um, But maybe you guys can kind of come up with a better answer than I did. Um, But this game was City's third consecutive loss in the WSL. They have only lost more games across an entire season twice. And now they've lost three in the first four. Um, I mean, it's quite impressive, especially when you see uh, Lucy Bronze made a column in in Give Me Sport Sport Woman. That was quite interesting. And I think it was a lot of excuses and not really any solutions. And this was right before the West Ham game also. Um, so she's like, yeah, we need to get into winning games. And I think West Ham's a perfect opportunity. So I'd love to know what Lucy Bronze is going to see on her next column um, after all these losses now. But despite Bunny Shaw scoring a hat trick in midweek, Garrett Taylor stuck with Ellen White up front, but used Jess Park on the right wing with Janine Becky at right back. Um, and yes, I also saw someone say that Janine Becky is one of the best players in the world right now. 
Don't know what you listeners think of that one. Um, but back to the game. Manchester City created a couple of good opportunities in the first half. Lauren Hemp, in particular, should have probably scored. But once West Ham took the league towards the end of the first half, they looked pretty comfortable, which you don't really couldn't really predict that one either. Um, but Hasegawa lobbing Tay right at the end to confirm the win. Ellen White did score, but the goals ruled for offside. Ellen White and offside, that's something common. Manchester City losing four times, not too common. Um, but Jesse, what is going on at Manchester City right now? God, that's a big question, um, which I wrote in the script, so I don't know why I'm pretending I didn't know it was coming. Uh, <laughs> it's a really strange one, to be honest. Um, they're massively underperforming their XG, and I think, you know, if this had never happened before I'd be like this is just maybe a really like long run of bad luck but what's weird is obviously this exact thing happened last season under Taylor they just weren't losing games they were drawing them they drew with Brighton and Reading exactly the same situation they seem to be creating the chances but you know the the ball just wouldn't go in um I think really you know as we look more and more at this city side struggling to score because I do think that's kind of the real root of their problems um, you know, the loss of Chloe Kelly becomes, you know, even more obvious. She not only scored 10 last season, so same as Ellen White did, but she also got 11 assists. So she was by far and away their biggest, like, contributive goals. And I just feel like they're missing that so much. Uh, Lauren Hemp, you know, as fantastic a player as she is, she still hasn't really added goals to her game. And we kind of saw that in this match. She should really scored scored in that first half, to be honest, probably twice. Um, and it's just really not happening for her. And then I feel like as a result of this inability to score, they're heaping more and more pressure on themselves. And then you've got these defensive mistakes coming in, like we saw at Arsenal, like we saw Demi Stoics making for that second goal for, for Hasegawa to score. But, you know, even beyond that, there was just like, especially in the second half, so little movement from City that you just thought like, they felt like they didn't need to score or something. You know, they'd pick up the ball in midfield and everyone in front of whoever had the ball, whether it was, you know, Laura Coombs, who came on at halftime for Kira Walsh or, or, or Caroline Weir kind of picking up the ball there. It was just like stagnant in front of them, which again is like quite surprising because we kind of think of like Hemp, especially as someone who like might make a lot more movement, might make some runs. But it was just like they didn't really have anywhere to go or didn't know where they wanted to go and it wasn't until Bunny Shaw came on that you started to see stuff like opening up a bit more which just made it so easy for West Ham to defend that's kind of why like I just felt West Ham looked so comfortable because they didn't really have to do much you know their midfield pressed really well their defense held shape pretty well but like City weren't like trying to really move them out of position at all so it just feels like the longer this goes on the less answers they have to to the problem. And one man that probably doesn't seem like he knows the answers of anything that's going on is Gareth Taylor in particular. And Manchester City are not really a club with experience of firing and hiring. Um, And you see it a lot less in women's football than you do in men's football also. That's worth pointing out. Um, But their first manager, Nick Cushing, left to take a different job within the City group, Um, obviously in the MLS. Um, But Abdullah, how long can Gareth Taylor hold on to his job the way that things are going right now? At this point, I mean, with the slim margin of I mean, it's the margins and the, the, the games coming thick and fast, and like we've always said, it's, there's not much of a – it's not like you have a 38-game season. It's nothing near that. So 
the, if they want any hopes of qualifying for the, I, I think right now, I think title, unless something catastrophic happens to Arsenal and Chelsea, I don't think they're in the title mix anymore for sure. So if they want any hope of qualifying for the Champions League, I think they got to make a change pretty much now during this international break. I, I would say that if, if City, if, if they really believe in the system and the process and they're like, okay, we'll give you the rest of the season and, you know, in, in the hope that you'll to turn things around, then I guess he has a job and then the process is over the manager. But, you know, at this point, the, the, the performances over the last, not even just this season, and we, we've, we touched upon it, you know, for the last season as well, they've just not been good. It's just the difference is, like Jesse was just saying, they drew games last season and now they're losing those same game, those same kind of games. And I think when you're drawing them and still winning the majority of them, you can get away with it. You're still near the top of the table because, you know, you've already amassed a lot of the points. At this, at this time, if you're starting to lose those games and not picking up any points, it becomes a real problem. And then not to, I mean, not to mention it, it also does affect them. I know that I know Man City as a group or a rich club, but from the, from in terms of organic revenue coming, you know, different places in the league and in Champions League, that's, that's a revenue stream that they miss out on. And that, I think in terms of their books, it will, will, they'll miss out and not, not to mention they, they had a pretty heavy uh, summer. Now we know that the fees aren't really, you know, openly talked about and they're not public, but they must cost something in, in the grand scheme of things. Those were expensive players, quote unquote. So, I mean, they're going to, it kind of, that plays a part into it as well. So I, I don't know, but the thing is, who do you bring in? Like you fire him, but who do you go on? Unless you go and prize somebody away from a current club with a lot of money, no one's going to, no one's going to come through. I don't see anybody sitting out. I mean, the two former Leon managers are still out there, but they weren't great tactically either. So you're really going into the same mess again, and they don't really speak English too much. I, I, I don't, I don't think so. So I don't see anybody else. I, I, I think they're going to stick with him, but unless a, a prime candidate comes out like a Sonia Bumpuster who suddenly was available on the side and we didn't even know, then I can see that. Otherwise, it's it's it is what it is. Bring Luis Cortes and have a four yeah. Catalan coaching uh, <laughs> staff. Vicky Lozada is there, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think Vicky Lozada is too keen on Luis Cortes, to be fair. So <laughs> it might. It might not be the greatest idea at the end of the day. Um, but as much as we love talking about Manchester City losing and not being in a good place, we shouldn't take away credit from West Ham. Um, this is easily their most momentous win ever in the WSL. And last episode, we said that Ali was at the wheel. Quite literally, it paid off. Jesse, what is Ollie Harder? <laughs> Jesse's dancing. What is Ollie Harder getting right? I just love West Ham and I love this West Ham team and I love Ollie Harder and I'm so happy for all of them. Um, I think what is getting right is really it feels like the midfield feels like they they have a really high ceiling. They work really hard. They press really well adding Hasegawa has added that you know little bit of guile there um something a bit different something a bit unpredictable and then you've got these players like Brunastotti making these kind of late runs into the box um getting their heads to balls which I just think like shows again that same willingness to kind of take a risk um overload a defense which we don't often see from kind of these mid to lower table teams but you know Brunastotti has like one of the highest expected goals in the league so far this season per 90 um, I think she's like the second highest midfielder and the first highest midfielder is Tamiki Allop, which, you know, if you class her as a midfielder, like FB ref do. So I think, again, that just shows like how much West Ham have going for them from those positions. And, you know, equally, I think he's 
he's got this really interesting defensive mix going on as well, where, you know, they've kind of had these younger players come in, Fisk, Lucy Parker, but then, and even Hawa Sissoko as well. And then you're matching them up with really experienced players, Julie Flatty, Kate Longhurst, you know, and those are both players who I think have mistakes in them. You know, Lauren Hemp's opportunity, what came from a Julie Flatty mistake. And there are players who still have, you know, mistakes in them in this West Ham team. And, and that's always going to be a risk for them. But it just felt like they played in this game so much as a team and everyone was really willing to put in, you know, in the work, like even a player like Abby Lee Stringer, who's obviously been in WSL for a while and I've never really noticed, let alone rated, but you see her suddenly putting this work in it. It just feels like Harder's instilled, not just a work ethic in his team, because I think that's just like a, you know, an easy way to try and describe something, but he's showing his team where they need to put the work in, who they need to be pressing, and they're then going and doing it. And, you know, I just, I'm so happy for them because it like totally paid off in this game. And, you know, obviously when we talked about the Spurs win against City, it kind of came with an asterisk, an asterisk in the shape of Rosella Ryan's hand. But this was just a genuinely really good win for West Ham. Yeah, and I'd like to add about the worth ethic and, and kind of the environment around Ollie Harder and West Ham in particular. Um, off the pitch, they all seem to be, I mean, this is going off, of course, like social media, just in general, the way that the players seem to be getting on um, together and, and just the friendships that's that's going and, and kind of just the bonding outside of it. Obviously, they don't have Champions League, so they get to go out this weekend, have a little fun um, where the other players don't. But it just seems like a very, very good environment to be in at the moment. And it's kind of showing on the pitch. Um you see them working together. And as you mentioned, Jesse, you know, Ollie is, is giving him the right um, directions and, and the right guidance to, to kind of be the best version of themselves. That sounded really cliche. Um, but going back to Manchester City, just for a little bit, um, Manchester City's next game in the WSL is a Manchester derby against Manchester United, obviously, on Sunday. But Abdullah, you know, we're going to get to Manchester United later, but how do you see this one going? I mean... That's a that's a game, right? At the you you'd, you'd almost say United are the favorites going into this game now. Just just on the back of would you have said that at the beginning of the season? Probably not. But are you going into this now? You're like United are actually playing a little bit better than I mean not a little bit. They're playing better than City. Skinner has got his team in some. Maybe he's got some holes, but he's making them play some football. They've got some good results. They've they've been playing. And um, at this point, I mean, it's, I mean, okay, okay, can you imagine United beating City in, in the women's game? And then it's, it's suddenly, wow, the, the, the script has been, has been flipped. I'm, weirdly enough, I think it's, it's going to be an exciting game because you, I genuinely don't think we know what's going to happen. Like City could just turn it around and get a routine win. But equally, there's a 50% chance United just blow them out the water and win it like two or three nil. Like, Literally any one of those results are possible and nothing is off the table. So I'm excited to actually see the tactical battle, at least coming from Skinner's side. Not, I mean, Taylor's just going to pluck 11 players in, on the pitch and like, do your thing, guys. <laughs> Go and do okay, I, 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 I'm exaggerating, but obviously we, we know what I mean. He's not been the most tactically inclined guy ever. No, but overall excited. I actually think it's going to be a closer game than what it would have been if you know things were different. Just see a quick one for you. Who do you think is going to take it? Between City and United? Yeah. Oh, I think it's really tricky, isn't it? I think um, my worry for United is all the stuff that I just spoke about, about West Ham, about being, you know, really well organised. 
and really knowing what they're doing is something that I haven't really felt from United. I feel like they've kind of been able to get away with stuff in the games they played this season. And obviously in Chelsea game, we saw that when they were put under pressure, um, that really then caused them to panic. But I think, I just don't know. I just don't know. I'm going to sit on the fence. I'm going to go with the draw. Easy way out. (laughs) Uh, But we put a call on our Twitter that Twitter page that we always mention at the end of our episodes. Um, it comes in handy sometimes, um, but we put out for listener questions ahead of this episode and we've got a couple, and so we're going to sprinkle them in um, just as they, they go through the episode and the teams that we're talking about. So the first one is Lynn at Footy Defender 99. Do you think Man City will manage to bounce back this season or can we write them off? Abdullah, you mentioned it there. Uh, do you want to expand a bit more what, about what, what you mentioned um, in an earlier question and kind of yeah. just expand on your thoughts. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's it, like I said, I think, I think it comes down to, I think it comes down to the manager because there's a, there's a, talent, there's a talented group of players in that squad. No doubt. We, we've seen, you know, Losada's Champions League winner. I mean, Philippa Angadal came silver medalist at, 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 you know, at the Olympics and she was vital to the way Sweden were playing. Arguably Sweden were the best overall team in, in the Olympics that we just came past. Bunny Shaw scored 20-plus goals in the French League. I mean, you know, Kira Walsh and, and the rest, they've got some tons of players. I think it's just about kind of bringing all of them together in a cohesive way that makes sense tactically. And I think if, like we said, and I might be repeating myself, if City can bring in somebody who is tactically inclined and and, and Alex, you know, Luis Cortez might just be that answer uh, like you said, but because if he can just get in and just set up a structure, even if it's a basic, simple structure, but it works and everybody understands their roles, and I think it can change. At the same time, I think we also need to put into account there's been no Ellie Roebuck for the last few weeks. There's been no Lucy Brown. She's been out. Uh, no Chloe Kelly, just you said there's no Chloe Kelly. I think those three, arguably three of their better players in their squad. I mean, Lucy Brown's obviously is a huge miss at right back. Robux, you know, I think the thing there are a few few of the goals that she possibly could have saved, or maybe they had a better chance of saving. And then Chloe Kelly just like what Lauren Hemp does on the on the left, Chloe Kelly does the exact same thing on the right. And I don't think you get that from a Janine Becky or anybody else that replaces her on the right side because that directness and that sort of movement that the two wingers have, I think that's what made City win the games that they were they were losing or draw the games that they were you know that they were sorry draw the games they were losing and win the games they were drawing. Because those front three and mainly the two wide players, they made things happen. I mean, remember when Lauren Hemp almost, you know, I think it was the 2-2 draw against uh, City, against Chelsea City. Hemp could have easily won the game. And that was, you know, that that was the sort of play that City had. And Kelly provided the same thing on the right. So I think these three players, uh, players have been key uh, to, their, to their downfall. I think if they come back sooner rather than later, and obviously we don't know when Bronze and, and uh, Kelly will be able to come back. But you know, I think I think those are three huge misses, and it, it looks like it's paying for them. So I think they to make up for that, you need somebody a bit more tactically inclined to bail you out of a situation like that. Jesse, do Man City still have title hopes? No, I, I honestly I think they're close to not having Champions League hopes. I think if they lose to United at the weekend, that might be, you know, done for them there. Like if you look at the number of games United lost last season 
think it was around five or something. Okay, maybe this United team is not as good as the one last season, but you're still looking at requiring those teams above you to lose an awful lot of games whilst assuming you're they're going to have the perfect season. So, yeah, they're definitely way out the title. I don't see Chelsea or Arsenal, to be honest, dropping you know, six to nine points, which is what they require at this point. Um, Maybe Spurs they could catch up with, potentially. But Chelsea and Arsenal, I'm not sure. And and yeah, as I say, I think they have to beat United at the weekend, really, I think, to even think about staying in touch with that third place position, ultimately, because teams at the top just don't drop points like that, you know? Yes, you don't write off Rianne Skinner. You know what happened last time. Oh my God, Rianne Skinner will owe me so much money if Spurs get to the Champions League places purely because of how I've shit talked her on a podcast. (laughs) I won't be surprised if by the end, before the end of the season, she comes on this show as a guest. That will be the funniest thing ever. Just, you know what? That would be great. We can be quiet. We let Jesse do all the talking. (laughs) It's going to be a one-on-one with Jesse and Rianne Skinner. It's happening. Bonus episode. It's happening. Um, <laughs> uh, but we're going to move on to the next, as Jesse mentioned, the only home win of the weekend. Chelsea 3, Brighton 1. Girl Wrighton, I I just want to share my love for Girl Wrighton again on this podcast. Um, just all hail Girl Wrighton. Thank you. Uh, Sam Kerr and Bethany England scored and Danielle Carter scored for Brighton. Now, Chelsea avenged their only loss of last season. Jesse still remembers that fresh, fresh in their head. But they've been, sorry, I just got lost in the script. Uh, Brighton, who have been something of a boggy team for the Blues in the past. Jesse's script, I apologize, everyone. Um, 3-1 at Kings Meadow. It was a hat-trick of assists for Fran Kirby with Girl Wrighton opening the scoring and Sam Kerr heading in before halftime. Dan Carter pulled one back at the start of the second half, but Bethany England gave Chelsea a two-goal cushion right at the end. When I saw that notification again for for, um, Danielle Carter scoring, I just thought, I was like, oh, it's going to happen again. And then it didn't. So that was kind of underwhelming at the end of the day. Um, But Abdullah, we saw Chelsea passing up some good opportunities as usual. Sam Kerr in particular missing two one-on-ones. Were Brighton lucky to get away with only three goals conceded this time around? Yeah, 100%. Um, just, I mean, the amount of chances that, that, that Chelsea were creating that day was was insane. I mean, uh, I, I mean, I, I could count at least three or four through balls from a Panetta Hard or someone, you know, someone around there who, you know, and, you know, a Kirby or a Kerr just, just, just weren't clinical enough. And I think on another day that, that, that game becomes 5-1 instead of 3-1, you know, or 6-1. It could have easily been a repeat of the United game in terms of the way they were clinical over there. Um, and I know that earlier in the week, and if anybody would have heard the other podcast that, that, uh, that I was on, I, I talked about possibly there being a little bit of a worry about clinical finishing and is there something to worry about? And while I think there might be a small bit of that, then there is something, that is something to think about. I think it's just probably just, you know, um, the, the, these, these players know how to score. They've scored, you know, 20 plus goals uh before it's not like they've they've never done it so they know where to how to find the back of the net um curve gets so many chances that i think it just looks like that she doesn't actually maybe score as many as she does just because of the sheer volume of chances but when you actually look at it she sure she scores a truck ton of goals and you know most of the decently good opportunities she puts away and i think just probably brighton was just one of those games where 
Um, she, she wasn't there, and but then you know, and Kirby, you know, Kirby came through in another way, three assists. So I think I think Brighton were, were lucky, but again, they they showed uh, you know they they were they were thinking, oh, maybe we can have a repeat of last season. And when they when they equalized, you're like, when they scored a goal, you're like, well, you know, something could have happened. But yeah, it is what it is. One manager that we never write off on this podcast is Hope Powell. So <laughs> amen to that. <laughs> Jesse, uh, back to you. That's only one clean sheet in Chelsea's opening four games of the WSL. Is that something that matters? Yeah, it's a funny one. Chelsea have conceded five this season, um, which is half of what they conceded for the entirety of last season. Obviously, three of those come against Arsenal. So, you know, the, the numbers are a bit funny there. And actually, if you look at the underlying numbers, Chelsea have had the best defence of any team in the league. And they've also had the best attack of any team in the league. So... I guess what you really say is, you know, you kind of trust that the underlying numbers are, are accurate and over a season, that's what will play out long term and you, and you don't worry about it. I think when you're actually watching the game and, and moving away from the kind of stats based stuff, you know, I think some of the, the worries are still, you know, for this goal, it kind of felt like maybe Jess Carter had switched off a little bit, allowed Dan Carter to kind of get into the space, uh, had kind of lost where she was going. Goal came from a throw in again, just felt like no one was really ready for it. Emma Hayes kind of said we were in the dressing room for the first 10 minutes of the second half. I think that's probably fair. They kind of looked a bit all over the place. And so despite the fact that the defending has been, you know, broadly very good, you know, those little mistakes, those little errors, you still feel like specifically around players switching off is a worry. I think, as I say, you know, probably across the season and in games like this, you know, yeah, the three goals were conceded at Arsenal. That's annoying. That's a worry. But when you're conceding one to Man United, when you're already 3-0 up, when you're conceding one to Brighton when you're 2-0 up, it's probably not the end of the world. Is it fair to say or too naive to say that Chelsea have a good enough attack that they can kind of outplay their defensive mistakes? Yeah, I think I think Chelsea... The worry is, is that Chelsea know that and they become complacent around that. But, you know, it is, you know, when you look at Chelsea's insane record where they've scored in, like, every game since the start of the WSL ever started, you know, and they, they score non-stop, you must go into that game feeling good because you think, well, no matter what happens, teams are going to have to score at least two to beat us. And we think that's fairly unlikely because we're pretty good at defending, despite what, you know, the broader conversations around the elite level of defending. We're pretty good at defending WSL teams. So... You've got to, that's got to be in the back of your head, surely. But I guess, you know, the job of Hayes is to say you can't rest on your laurels and think that because, you know, and Brighton showed that last season. If you end up with Carly Telford in goal and she palms a couple of corners in, then you'll still lose a game. So <laughs> just have her screaming in, in your ear all the time. Um, but Abdullah, go right in. Oh, hell, Guru right in. I'm saying that every time now. Um, girl has really shown in the left left wing back role this season, obviously with that back three that Emma Hayes has stuck with. What do you make of her playing there? I mean, so much so I went and picked up the third kit with a girl right in 11 on the back. So that's how much I'm, I'm into the girl right in left wing back uh, thing. Let's, let's take all the way. No, I, I, I love, I think she's been, I'm actually really happy that she's actually starting to get some game time and replaying because she's been in and out of the team for so long. Um, and her first season was brilliant as 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 a you know as a winger, but um, now that she's finally got this slot at left wing back, and it's and it's while she has been tested, and we know that she's been someone who's very very good on the attacking side. I think the whole essence of playing a three at the back, this is that one role where 
you can really let your attacking, you know, wide players really blossom. And I think Brighton is the epitome of everything that's gone well with this with this system. Anything that's gone, I think I think she's the success story here. And I think it, it really suits her because back to the point about that you guys made about is Chelsea's attack good enough to compensate for their for the defense? And I think by the virtue of the fact that Guru Wrighton is playing over Jonah Anderson at left wing back, I think that just epitomizes it because they're like, well, we have a better attack than we have defense. Well, then let's just compound that by playing our, you know, one of our best left wingers at left wing back and let her do her thing and 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 give us a an alternate way of of attacking. And I think we've seen how she's been able to not only play on the overlap and cross cross in, but I think she's also been able to come on the inside. I think she's made late runs into the box um, and kind of putting all that together, you get like this ultimate wing back. And I think. I think this Brighton game was her coming out party in terms of finally understanding and learning the position. You know, for me, that was, I think, finally her saying, okay, I know how to play, guys. I know how to play this position now. Here I am, goal assist. We go from here. Pretty much it. Passionate rounds are good, wide, but needed. <laughs> she just came out. It's like, guys, I got this. Don't I got this. It. She, she went to Sam Kerr, Frank Kirby, um, and, you know, Bethany England pretty hard. She's like, it's fine. It's fine. You guys, you guys can can stop now. <laughs> um, moving on to the next game of the weekend, Aston Villa no Arsenal four. And can I just say that we're recording this forty minutes before Arsenal Barcelona in the Champions League? So I'm I'm going through this um, relatively quickly. Um, I think. Anyway, <laughs> Aston Villa did their best to keep Arsenal at bay for the first half, but in the end, three goals in the last ten minutes made this feel like a comfortable win for Arsenal which it looks like on paper. Um, but Kim Little scored her 150th goal for, for Arsenal. And Katie McCabe, I'm sorry, I'm, I talked about the Arsenal-Barcelona game. I got really excited. Um, but in this game, Katie McCabe scored the first lob of the WSL weekend, a magnificent goal over the top of Hannah Hampton. Almost, it's, it was like halfway from the goal line and the halfway line. Um, just an absolute... What I liked about this goal was that Katie McCabe's body was facing her own goal and she kind of had to like really swing her body around to get it to curl into the goal anyway just little details but going into listener question before we go to other questions adam salter at adam salter four what would constitute a successful season for arsenal jesse let's start with you yeah i mean i think at this point um and there was like another question about this as well you know can arsenal win the wsl title this year i feel like at this point that has to be what a successful season is for Arsenal. You know, your City are out the picture pretty much. You're three points ahead of Chelsea. So, you know, if you look at how Chelsea have, like, accrued titles over the years, this is what they do. They get ahead of a team and then they hold on to it. You go into those games against Chelsea and City in this case and... You know, you play to win, but even more than that, you play not to lose because, you know, if you hold on, you're in the driving seat there. So, yeah, I think if Arsenal don't... It sounds ridiculous after four games, but genuinely, I think if Arsenal don't win the league um, from this position, from here, it will it will have been a disappointing season because, you know, they came out and they got that win on opening weekend and that was the win they needed to get. Um, you know, I'm sure Chelsea, especially when we get to the reverse fixture... Or have something to say about that. But, you know, Arsenal are also in a position of even if they lose that game, they can still, like, push on with the goal difference stuff. And that's why, you know, this win against Villa, 
again was just like so impressive. I know Idavals talks about how he lost a league on goal difference before, so he's really aware of all of this stuff. Um, so yeah, I think yeah for Arsenal that you know that's got to be the goal legal legal nothing. Definitely, and even under Joe, the goal difference was always kind of a big thing for Arsenal. Um, obviously winning those those high scoring games, but Abdullah. Um, a question from Olivier Zunon at uh, Olivier Zunon. Can Arsenal win the WSL title this year? Yeah, 100%. I mean, the way they're playing right now, I mean, can you really doubt them? Jonas has come in and he's, you know, Idaval Ball is, is, is in full motion right now. And uh, I think he's he's transformed this team so quickly that, again, I, I honestly thought it would take three, four months. I, th- I thought around Christmas time we'll probably see this type of football come into play. But He's just come in and just kind of like, it's like the players completely understand what it is that he wants them to do. And it's almost as if they've been doing this for years. And, and the scary thing is there's room for improvement. They can do better. Um, we'll find out. Obviously, people already know the result by the time this is out. But we'll find out in about half an hour uh, or so about whether, you know, whether how well they do against a top quality side like Barcelona. But I think winning the league, I think you'd have to put them as favorites right now, right? I mean, just the way that they're playing and the way that they're going through. So, you know, just kind of tie in the last question in this one. I, I don't see, I, th- I think a successful season for Austin this time is definitely winning the league. I think we can, yeah. I mean, loyalties aside and everything, we all know how important it is to get points off the top three teams. And Arsenal already have six points um, from six points available to them so far. So that's, that's, that's big and it's hard. And I know it's, it's kind of redundant to talk about the title at this point in, in the season, but we all know that once a top three team gets these amount of points against another top three team, it's it's not predictable, but is it does have a big impact on, at the end of the day. And whether we like it or not, it, six points from six points is, is pretty big. But Jesse, how good were some of these goals against Aston Villa? We can talk about the Katie McCabe one, but I really like Kim Little's goal, mainly because she received the ball as a number nine, like at the top of the at the top of the box, and that was straight a split ball from Lotte Boven Boy, like a center back to a number ten who's in a n- number nine position, receives the ball with the back to goal, just turns and obviously it's not the most beautiful goal, but she hit it perfectly at it. It went off the post and into the goal. How good were all the goals? Yeah, I, it's funny. I came, the Kim Little one was actually, you know, kind of what I was thinking. The Katie McKay one was obviously amazing. The float she gets on that is absolutely bonkers. But Kim Little is someone who's really like stood out to me because I was kind of looking at her numbers and, you know, her XG per 90 has like not gone up on any of her previous seasons. But at the moment, like everything she touches is hitting the back of the net. And I don't know what Jonas Idaval has put in the water like at Colney, but... You know, when you look at me, do you look at little, all these players feel like they're just in the form of their lives. And, you know, it just shows you, I guess, what a great environment he's creating at the club. And it's, you know, really incredible to see these players who, you know, Kim Little's like an incredible player, obviously, but to see players who maybe in that last season under Joe, it felt like they were kind of like floating in and out of the picture at Arsenal. You know, it just felt like everything at Arsenal was always about Miedemar. And obviously, like, Viv is amazing. She's a fantastic player. But it's just really great to see Arsenal coming together as a squad, I think, and on all these players being able to step up. And then that's even before we get on to talking about, 
you know, Tobin Heath <laughs> saying sergeant like down the river to, to get the ball to Iwabuchi, which was just also flicked in so, you know, so fantastically. And yeah, you know, this this Arsenal squad, it just has so many layers to it. And even thinking about, you know, when these goals came in the game, you know, Arsenal scored one after 50 minutes, but to be able to bring lots of these pl- different players on at 60 minutes, 70 minutes, and then go and get three goals in the last 10 minutes. Okay, obviously Aston Villa kind of collapsed in that moment. But again, it just speaks so much to like a strength of squad, which, you know, I know we've touched on before, but it just feels like we, you know, we haven't seen for Arsenal for years, you know, and to genuinely like sit here and be like, this is potentially, you know, the best squad in the WSL, you know, I'd say at least equal to Chelsea's. You could probably debate which one's better. Probably is going to depend on form of players. Arsenal's just feels more exciting at the moment, I think, because, you know, Chelsea haven't made that many additions. So that's probably why my eye is being drawn to it. But yeah, it's, it's just really exciting to see. Yeah, Jonas made a really interesting comment in the post-match press conference about how the finishing starting, like the finishing 11 is just as important as the starting 11. Um, so it is quite interesting how his thought process, well, obviously his ability to think about, about, about that because all of his players are, are fit and ready to play. But it is interesting that he, I mean, if you just listen to the answers that he has to certain questions, you can see that his thought process, he thinks from start to finish of every little detail of the match. Um, and it's really, really interesting. But Abdullah, you know, what can teams learn from Aston Villa keeping Arsenal out for 50 minutes? Um, I mean, it's Chelsea couldn't stop them. <clears throat> um, so what can what can people kind of observe from Aston Villa and, and them being able to do that? I think you've just got to look at, overall team structure i think if if you can i mean if I, i'm not wrong i think they played five at the back almost like a five four one almost uh uh system so um <clears throat> i think i think I, yes we know i think we've seen teams try and match i think brighton tried to match chelsea with a three five two uh if i'm not wrong and i think i think it just comes down to discipline and overall team structure and just kind of keeping your keeping concentration i think Villa did that well for about 50 minutes. Yes, they had about 23% possession, but I think the fact that the numbers were so different was, I think, not even just because Arsenal loved possession, but I think they were ready to concede possession and and kind of ready to not have it. So I think mentally, when you know you're not going to have the ball and you're almost you almost don't want the ball, you can then probably concentrate focus on keeping your opposition on and kind of really, you know, um, stopping stopping the movements. And you know, I, I think. Um, I remember, I remember, uh, I don't know which coach it was uh, in the WSL. Basically, I was, I was, I heard that they were saying, you know, with teams like Arsenal and Chelsea, uh, you know, say Arsenal and like City, you almost know exactly what they're going to play because it's so systematic in a sense. So I, I guess you can kind of, while that is again down to quality of the players as well, you can kind of take that as well and be like, all right, we know Arsenal is going to play like one, two, three, four. It's up to us now to really be disciplined, really focus on keeping them away and if you can nick a goal you can nick a goal but i, I but i think you've it's it's almost impossible to do it for 90 minutes they did it for 50 which i think is commendable to them but again i think it just comes down to structure mentality and and, and just kind of wanting to say okay i'm gonna we're gonna defend and we're not gonna have the ball i'm particularly excited to see the return fixture of chelsea arsenal um, mainly because obviously emma hayes We'll have a lot of time to kind of figure it out. And I think teams are slowly starting to get the, the best of Arsenal in terms of shutting them down. But I don't think, I don't know if it'll be enough, but we'll see about that. Um, but moving on to the next match, Reading nil, Everton 3. First time that we see Everton um, quite comfortably. 
Um, this was probably the first comfortable one for Everton, who were able to easily put three past Reading, thanks to some awful defending on their part. Um, Reading ticked off, kind of bad defending, bingo. Poor clearances, non-existing marking, terrible wall, penalty giveaway. Um, what what was their prize? What was three goals? Was that was that prize? That's kind of underwhelming for them. Izzy um, Christensen missed the penalty. That was their prize. Okay, there you for go. Winning there, there's one thing. <laughs> there's one thing that went wrong. Uh, but Abdullah, we're gonna give you a listener question. Sai at Sai underscore twenty three oh two. Realistically, how much longer will it take for Everton's players to really start getting on the field and in a matter where they prove as decent competition to the top four teams? You know, I think I think these these I think this this is a it's, it's a tough question mainly because you don't know and we don't know what the chemistry and 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 the vibe is like in the dressing room you know behind behind the scenes and I think especially when you have so many players sometimes it could re- it could realistically sometimes it could take an entire season to to really come together and really show uh, the type of uh, type of chemistry that that that's required to be able to you know to you know really compete with top teams. I mean, you look at someone like Arsenal and you look at Chelsea uh, and we'll leave City out of this just just because of you know, the way we've seen in the season. Arsenal and Chelsea have been playing together for the most part for a long, long time. They've made incremental additions to their team. Like, for example, Arsenal have brought in Frida Manum, you know, so like she's like a nice, careful addition to that first team. So it's an easier adaptation period for the entire team. You know, Chelsea brought in Lauren James and Anique Nguyen, who neither have played. So essentially you're playing the same uh, squad as, as last season for the most part. So even if you choose change of formation, it's the adaptation period is not as long. But for someone like Everton who bought in like six, seven, eight players, in in each one almost, you know, pretty much a first team player that's gonna slot in and, and take a place, you really can't expect them to be turning turning heads in, in a month or two. I think minimum we're gonna have to wait until after the Christmas uh, period is over we get into January January February when we can probably see the real Everton and really see what they're all about it's a it's a it's a good uh, it's a good start to have a three nil victory and I think that's when it comes down to maybe Everton have to revert back to playing half the team that was playing last season and slowly bring in some of these key players and kind of incrementally put them in I think that probably will help accelerate this this process and at the same time, get them higher up the table where, where they should be. And Jesse, looking at Reading, this is starting to look really bleak for Reading this season so far. Tash Harding had to go off with a head injury and they are still yet to score a single goal this season. Can Kelly Chambers pull a Rianne Skinner and turn this around for the better, do you think? Well, maybe she should talk to Rahan and find out what Rahan's doing because that's clearly clearly the answer. Um yeah, it's it's a really strange one. Like I feel like each week I'm like, this is the week Reading like get going because this is a really good or this should have been a really good team. You know, they they had a really strong season last year. They could have been one of the teams like we look at how like Brighton have been doing this season. They are a team that you think kind of alongside them could be pushing on, especially because, you know, obviously the loss of Farrah Williams, you know, Angahar James. They are like tricky losses, but I don't think anyone really realized maybe how much that's affected the team because I felt like the the players they brought in were like decent options. Um, I think something that Rahan Skinner has done really well uh, is, and maybe we'll touch on this when we get to the Spurs game, and this is probably what Reading need to do, is tighten up at the back because I just feel like, you know, 
were making the joke about the bingo, but like when you're being able to tick off all those mistakes that are being made across the team, you're just giving the opposition opportunities to score. And then you just leave yourself, you know, they conceded all three of those goals in the first half. It's like, you're never going to come back from that when when you've yet to score a single goal all season. Like you're just putting yourself in impossible positions by defending so badly. So I feel like, for Chambers, that's really where the focus like needs to begin. I think she's got the players there to do it. You know, I I hope they've got the ability to get on because I really like Reading as a team and I love the way that they've, you know, continued to make an impact in the WSL when teams, you know, around them who've played at the same level as, as their men's team. For those who don't know, Reading's men's team plays in the second tier of um, men's football, which is, you know, Birmingham are the only other side in the WSL who are now in that same position. Um, so I, it would be really sad to to kind of see them like go that way and like kind of drift off the back. But at the moment, that that feels like it's happening. Yeah, it's a bit, bit of a shame. I really liked Reading last season. Um, I mean, I know they've they've never been that team that we've kind of backed to, to break into the top four and whatnot, but they've consistently been very pleasant to watch I mean that in the best way possible they've always been kind of enjoyable to watch um and it, it's a bit of a shame obviously Ferry Williams was a huge huge loss but it, it is a bit of a shame to see them like this um and kind of not being able to yeah just get one goal so far in the season but moving on to a team that does score Jesse's favorite um Tottenham to Leicester nil Tottenham maintained their 100 start with a win over Leicester who did not really cause them many problems um, Leicester goalkeeper Christy Lavelle kept Leicester in the game for much longer than they, de- than they deserved to, but eventually Spurs got a second goal after some well-worked play between Rosella Ayane, Rachel Williams, and Angela Addison. Jesse, <clears throat> we're really seeing Leicester struggle uh, to adjust to the WSL this year, and Aston Villa faced a similar problem last season. Why do these teams find it so hard to adjust the W cell? And how happy are you that that was not a Rianne Skinner question? <laughs> Do you notice how I wrote myself a Leicester question? No, I'm happy. Yeah. I want to squash all rumours that I dislike <laughs> Rianne Skinner right here, right now. I just said in the past, I didn't feel like she had a plan. I've been really impressed with our Spurs team. I think they played really well. I think they do have a plan going forward now. I still think they won't be able to hold on to how good this start is but I'm glad to see her doing good okay back to Leicester um yeah it's funny because I thought this Leicester team would do really well in much the same way as I thought this Aston Villa team would do really well and I guess that's kind of why I wanted to talk about this because it just feels like the the step up from the championship to the WSL is a lot you know bigger than we'd expect and I think what's interesting is you know Leicester are a team who went full-time last season the championship so I guess in the past like I'd have said that that part-time to full-time jump is you know something that you can't do overnight but obviously they've had players training at that level they you know did something that I thought Aston Villa didn't do last year which was bring in lots of players with experience of the league Um, but it just feels like at the moment they're really struggling to kind of deal with the intensity of it it feels like when they've got good moments going forward they're it's like really one-offs they're struggling to deal with the amount of pressure other teams put under and I don't know maybe if it is like more of a mental thing than a tactical thing this Leicester side obviously beat United in the FA Cup at the end of last season so that was before they made these additions so it suggests that there's you know obviously that was a one-off game but there's nothing really wrong with the squad as it were 
but you know at the moment it just feels like they're really struggling to get a grip on it I thought it was interesting that Natasha Flint didn't start this game I was a bit surprised by that I know obviously they played midweek but you would kind of expect you know they're not it's not like they're playing midweek every week it didn't really feel like the need to rest so I wasn't really sure if that was like a tactical decision but you know I feel like she is at the center of a lot of the good exciting stuff they have done in this league so that's kind of why it surprised me and yeah I kind of wonder if it is a mental thing because I feel like their performances are just going backwards and it feels like they're less and less confident of their ability to perform in this league and again I think that's something we saw Villa last year like you know they had that really like embarrassing opening game against City where they just like pressed them until they like just gave the ball to them in the penalty area non-stop and I wonder if just those like initial embarrassing moments like start to like really grind players who aren't used to maybe the attention down um, in a way that like when you've been performing well at the top of the championship, it, it doesn't. So, you know, Villa obviously kind of found a way to, you know, get a grip as the season went on, although it obviously required a change of coach. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, Jonathan Morgan is kind of like unproven at this level, obviously. Um, I think it's always a shame when clubs move on from coaches who've got them there. Obviously, Rahan Skinner <laughs> is a beneficiary of, of a club kind of doing that. Um, and sometimes it is just necessary, you know, for a bit of a culture change. You know, Skinner obviously wasn't a, an experienced coach at this level. So, uh, you know, I just wonder again if it is that mental problem of feeling of feeling like you know your coach doesn't know what they're doing. Maybe sometimes you, you have to to move on there. Yeah, it is interesting. We did rate them pretty highly in our preview um, episode. I remember just because, yeah, just because their their attack of the championship was, you would have thought it would have been good enough to, for them to continue to perform in the WSL at least outside of, of the kind of maybe top five, maybe like bottom table teams. You would expect them to get a bit better, um, but obviously Tottenham are not bottom of the table. They're they're second place. So, Abdullah, um, with Tottenham continuing to keep us to keep up this winning run so far. What is impressing you the most about Skinner's side? I feel like I'm not going to do this question justice, but I will try. Um, uh, Jesse's not going to go away anytime soon, so I'm sorry. Uh, um, no, so jokes aside, I think I think um, it's it is. I think it's an extended run. I, I think this will this will eventually come to a stop, and then you know they will they will they will they'll kind of level up back into the middle of the pack and you know start fighting for for staying up. Um, but you know, I think I think for them, it's great to get these early points um, because we all know what early points does. It gives you that cushion, that base, that foundation of um, you know going through the season, saying, okay, fine, we've already taken some good points, and they can be more relaxed about it. I think, you know, I think I think just the way you know uh, Rand Skinner set up her side. I think they've um, I think they've they've set up they set up decently well. Um, you know, you, you have to credit the, the the structure. I know I always talk about structure, but I think every good side is based on is based on structure, and it's based on how uh, how a team is how a team is set up and built. And if you can keep clean sheets, just as they did against Leicester City, you know, you give yourself half a chance. I mean, if you look at the stats in that game, they had sixty one percent possession against Leicester. They had twenty two shots and 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 nine on target, which. I mean, you 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 don't look at who's playing, and you just look at those stats. You think a Chelsea or an Arsenal playing against uh, you know one of these other sides, and you no, know, it actually turns out it's uh, it's Tottenham. And I think with um, and I think with you know they're getting goals. I think that's probably the most uh, the most important thing they've they've set up in this four two three one ish uh, formation. And I think Kit Graham playing this number ten, 
you know, uh, I think that's been that's been good. And having Percival and, and Cameron as uh, as your holding midfielders, I think that gives you a good base to kind of work on and getting that 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 double pivot as your barrier to to protect the back four. And you know, I think I think you know Spencer and goal, I think is 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 actually I think slightly underrated. I think she's she's a pretty decent keeper out of the out of the other other than that. I think she's top three in terms of uh, in terms of the keepers outside of the top four. So I, I think I think they've got a good base and and they've got you know players who are scoring them goals, which I think is usually the problem with these sides anyway. So yeah, yeah it'd be most interesting to see how long they keep this up for because I think that's um it's very unpredictable no matter how much we can kind of analyze them, analyze Rianne Skinner and and what she's done. And and kind of I always forget that Vicky Jepson is is there with Rianne Skinner as well. So I think that's pretty big. That's a big uh, appointment i think uh vicky jepson is probably a bit underrated for what she did with liverpool just because obviously it wasn't completely successful but i think liverpool were kind of a a very organized team a very good team together um so i think that's that's been influential as well but let's move on to the last game of the season um birmingham city nil manchester united two lucy quinn missed an amazing opportunity at nil nil here um, but at the end, Manchester United got a win over the line. Leo Galton scored her first goal since January, while Ella Toon added the second, a second late goal um, to kind of cushion. No, that's not the right word that I'm looking for. Um, a 2-0 win for Manchester United. Let's just leave it at that. Um, but a bit of an interesting tactical shift from Mark Skinner here, who started Alessia Russo for the first time this season with Ella Toon playing off the right. And although Chrissy Hansen did replace Lucy Stanford at halftime, which I think Chrissy Hansen coming in as a sub at halftime is always good. For some reason, every time that happens, she just plays really, really well. Um, but I do want to point out in this tactical shift in particular, I really enjoyed Alessia Russo, Lucy Stanford, Ella Toon, and Ona Batye playing all together. Um, I thought I, Ona Batye, I think, has been playing really, really well in this in this position and in this tactical Um kind of shift that that there has been uh she plays she, i mean she finds herself at the top of the box like really really inside in the middle of the pitch and she's a fullback and then her and ella tune lucy standing forth really pass the ball well and they move fluidly in their positions and i found that really interesting um so i'm just curious to see how that kind of works against a team like manchester city so i think that's going to be really interesting um but abdullah another listener question from anu at anu padu 13 Interesting username at rhymes. Um, thoughts on the Manchester United midfield? Manchester United midfield. I think that's kind of. I think. I think. I think they've been. I think they've been all right. I mean, it's. It's. I think it's always been a position where, um, you know, where you kind of need, you know, players who they kind of set up how you're going to go forward, right? So whether you have two pressing players, whether you have creative players, whether you have. Um, you know, holding, you know, they're all different kinds of types. And I think that determines how you want to play your football. So let's take the last game. I think they usually play Katie Zellum and and probably Jackie Vernon was in the last, uh, was in the last one. I think they, I think they rotate the number possession, number 10 position. Um, And they played Lucy Sanford there as well. So kind of that three kind of, you know, I think you build your team around that three. And I think those three on paper, Actually, very, very good, th- uh, you know, midfield three. I think Zellum, we've seen her quality over last season and this season. I think she's their best. Uh, I think she's their best midfielder. Uh, Gronin, I think for me, is their best pressing 
uh, best pressing uh, player that they have in midfield. And I think she does a lot of hard work for them in terms of winning the ball back and and doing that. And I think some of the some of the good stuff has come from the combination of the three. And I think Stanford Force with her passing and running into the box, I think it's been pretty good, uh, especially when they were playing uh, Ella Toon as, as a false nine. Obviously, it's, it's, it got a little bit harder against Chelsea where they just were just calamity at the back. But I think on paper, the front, the, the, the middle three, sorry, are... Are, are pretty good. I think it's just a matter of getting Skinner's ideas into 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 rhythm, into 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 you know into a thing, and you know let okay let them stop playing a little bit more. And once that's done, we can um, you know we can see how they really perform. But I think on paper, pretty good. And Jesse, it's been a bit of a mixed bag this season so far for Manchester United. Good ones against smaller teams, and then absolutely smashed by Chelsea. We've already talked about this weekend's Manchester Derby um, from a city perspective, which clearly wasn't too good for them. But what does this game mean from a United perspective? Yeah, I kind of touched on it when you asked me who I thought would win. But I think it's going to be a really interesting game because I think if United can iron out some of the flappy mistakes that they made against Chelsea, they should feel really confident, you know, going forward. I think something that you know, they've struggled to maybe score as many as we might have expected from from the chances they've created, but they have really consistently created good chances. Okay, it's against smaller teams, but they still, you know, scored against Chelsea and, you know, that's no awful thing either. So I think they should really feel going into the derby that they have more than enough ability, especially given where City are right now, to win this game. And kind of as we've touched on, I do think if they win this game, they should feel like they're in pole position probably to come third in the league. So I think it's going to be a really important one for Skinner. It's going to be really interesting because, you know, I think what has been really good to see about this United team is I feel like every week you do see them getting better. Mistakes against Chelsea aside, but, you know, like some of the link-up play with Hannah Blundell, you know, she got to assist in this game, was really, really impressive. It wasn't just like assists from like whipping crosses into the box. There was like a lot of interplay. You know, she was out on the left uh, with Batia on the right. So a little switch there but working really well with Leah Galton. Um, I still think this like Rousseau, Toon, Hansen thing kind of needs to be figured out. I personally would get rid of like Staniforth from there and just play Toon as the 10 with Rousseau ahead of her and Hansen on the right. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether this is, for me, that would be like playing the big guns. So it'll be interesting to see whether this is a game where Skinner thinks, okay, let's like, let's go with that. But yeah, I think I think it's a really big game for United. I think they should definitely feel like they're in a better position to win this game against City than they have in any other Manchester derby. So I'm really, really looking forward to this game. I think it's probably going to be like, it's probably, you know, aside from Arsenal-Chelsea, I think the game I've been like most excited to watch this season. So I do want to shout out Alessia Russo on the podcast because I am really excited to see her back. Um, I think she's done really, really well and she did score against Chelsea. So it just, I mean, we haven't, obviously she she was injured long-term last season, so we didn't really get to see her under Casey Stoney, which was a, a bit of a shame. But I think if Mark Skinner learns how to use her properly, it could go really, really well for them. And I think she's playing really well with with um, Elo Toon as well. So it should be interesting to see how they grow on that. But Abdullah, Birmingham here had some decent moments. Um, there are two other teams who have also lost their first four matches of the season. Did we write off Birmingham too early? And do you think that they could avoid the drop? Cue intense music. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's 
Possibly. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out saying that, you know, maybe we did rule them out too early. But at the same time, you, you the results kind of speak for themselves. Right. You look at you look at what um, what the standings are and, and them along with uh, City and Leicester City and, and Reading are on zero points. And at this point in time, you kind of find it tough to see where, you know, where these teams are going to, you know, where these teams are going to bring the points from. And I, you know, it's it's almost it's weird because I think the only I think I think it could possibly just come down to the fact that when they play each other is when they pick up points. It, it, it realistically could come down to that. But um, I think we've seen a season right now where teams are surprising us. I think mainly because of you know City and Everton not having the greatest starts. So like for example, we've seen Brighton already on six points. You know, last two games they you know they've won two games. Back to back early on, West Ham have gotten some couple of good wins under the belt. United are getting some good wins. Uh, Spurs obviously being being up there with with four wins out of four. So I think once those teams start tailoring down, I think we'll then get a better look at where who we think is actually going to go down because I think right now it almost seems like a false table with some of the positions that we see right now four games in. I think once we see six seven games in, I think we'll get an accurate gauge of whether. Birmingham, Birmingham City were actually right. You know, we call it right that they, they're going to go down or maybe they can pick up maybe four points. If they can pick up four points in the next two games, then there's a, you know, there's probably a, there's possibly maybe a chance, but we'll have to see how, where and when they can get their goals and, 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 and points from. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see how it goes because that, that opportunity that Lucy Quinn had early on against Manchester United was a really well, well worked um, kind of build up from that. It was just a simple down the left wing uh, to the touchline and cut back and Lucy Quinn try to do it first time uh, across the goal, which is obviously a lot harder than just putting it straight, straight to the goal. Um, but it was marginally missed and they had a few opportunities here and there. And then obviously uh, Louise Quinn, I, I rate her big time. It just She's just a presence on the pitch um, outside of football, you know, having someone like Louise Quinn, you know, you respect her so much that you just want to do everything um, that you can to kind of please her. But We'll see how what, what goes on. And, and obviously we're not, I can't believe we're only like four games into the season. I feel like there's already been so many things happening, but that's everything from us. This WSL was it five minutes before kickoff of Barcelona Arsenal. Look at that timing. Um, but obviously you can keep up to date with our latest episodes at box to box WSL. So make sure you give us a follow on Twitter and check out our personal Twitters there. Also, um, if you want, we, we tweet about very different things. I find that really interesting. The three of us are just very different, like, individually. What um, do you think the three of us are tweeting about? Yeah. Go on, Alex. <laughs> tell us. Who does yeah. what? No. At the moment. No, it's just very... <laughs> no, but, like, you guys do, like, a lot more written. I just, like, talk shit on Twitter. <laughs> I do written with gay shit sprinkled in, I think. There you go. And then Abdullah's just purely, like, analysis and tactical, like, yeah, serious um, shit. So we're just... I just find it interesting. Hey, I don't uh, banter with anybody. If somebody wants to banter with me, I'm, I'm down. <laughs> you hear me on this podcast. I do, I do a bit of banter. I'm not that, but guys, I'm not that old. Like, I can hang with the kids here. Come on. You can hang with the kids. Uh, I think that says a lot about your age there. Abdullah, you gave yourself away. <laughs> uh, but yes, if you listen to us on a podcast feed that allows you to rate and review, we would love you if you can send us nice words and give us a lot of stars. We, we should mention Relatively Football Podcast. Uh, a shout out to them. They have more ratings than us. So can you guys please go rate us more than them? No, I'm kidding. Um, that is, yeah, Relatively Football. 
Um, if you guys don't know already, it's also a, a very, very good podcast. So you guys could go listen to that. And for now, we'll leave it at that. And thank you everyone for listening. Cheers, guys. See you later.